you know, sometimes when we get into a position where somebody says, why don't you go and tell somebody else what God's done this week or vice versa, that's the time when you start looking at your toes and think, where did this week go? I'll speak for myself if I'm not speaking for you. It's amazing how quick things go by and life gets in the way and I was just busy being busy. All that stuff gets on and we go from week to week and we haven't really done anything, said anything, and it seems to be that we live many a time with lives on that, you know we call that SOS prayer? I'm just on the loo or I'm just going to bed and before I shut my eyes and say, thanks for the day, Lord, you know what, what a day. And then I go off to sleep and my day continues the same as it was the day before. And then I'm on the loo or just going to bed and, Lord, oh, I just want to throw this up. And I've read my one verse from every day with Jesus and hope that everything's going to change. You know it doesn't change, don't you? Last week we looked at, didn't we, about my father's business. It was part two. And we covered initially, we had the board. I could pull it back out if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. The board where we started to define what is church. And we looked at church and we said, it's traditional, it's what, charismatic, it's evangelical, it's what, it's progressive, it was user-friendly. All these different expressions of what we see church is, but Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. We build according to his pattern, not just according to what we like. I know that we need to go to a church where we like it. And also where it likes us. You know, it helps. It helps, doesn't it? I remember the statement that was made, we're happy to see you come, and we're happy to see some of you go, but we're happy to see you. That was an expression that one church gave. But you know, we're looking at this place of a defined church, and what was missing, we said, was a faith expression, and often that was missing due to one predominant factor, People said it was fear. Most of us didn't take Christ outside of the building because of fear, of apprehension, of not being too sure. There was an element of uh, apathy that we sit on our hands. And what we do is we look to see how successful we can have our God and church life inside the building. Where it's great, I can say, how spiritual Chris is. Chris is absolutely, sorry Chris, it's you again, I'm sorry. And we point to an individual and we look to see how great our lives reflect him in here, but it has very little kind of connection as we walk outside of the house. We looked, and have we covered over the last few weeks, we said about, is there a plan to change your life? What are you going to do about it? So I can take it that one still not really worked below the surface yet. You know, if we turn around and say, I'm going on holiday, then we're planning. My sister is one of those, she works for holidays. Three holidays a year, she goes to work just for holidays. And you can always tell, six to seven weeks before that holiday, what starts? It's a crash. You've got to look good on the beach, haven't you? I said, well, you can't do anything about your face, darling. I'd work with, start with that, work backwards. She works on this crash diet because there is a goal in mind. It's amazing when there is a goal or something to aim for, it's amazing how you get busier quicker. Yes? Some years ago, there used to be a big saying around the church. It wasn't necessarily around the church or from the church. It was outside. But the saying was this. See if anybody remembers it. Jesus is coming. 
No, look busy. Jesus is coming, look busy. Why? Because when he comes, I don't want to see as if I'm doing nothing. I know because I've done it. I'll tell you, I've, I've done it and I've had my own team and I know how it works. And every one of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. How easy it is to look busy when the boss is around. I shuffle me papers. I can be on the phone to somebody who's not even there. I can be typing an invisible email. I can be doing anything. Do we not look busy when we need to look busy? And so at times we think, in church, look busy. Jesus is coming. So I look busy actually producing nothing but looking like I'm doing something. Oh, come on, it can't only be me. You know, the amount of times I'm a busy fool, I kind of run around and then get to the end of it and think, but what did it achieve? I don't know, but I was busy for a while. And if I was to tick up my life and say, God, what have I been doing this week? I can tick off, I was doing something. But it did it have any heavenly or earthly value? Most of the time, not. Most of the time, not. But you know, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8 and 9, it declares this. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they each will be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. This is the place where grace meets decision. One plants, another waters, but for one purpose. Each one will be rewarded according to his labor. You were saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Salvation came to you at no cost. Yes? Did God do all the work? Was he the one who even gave you the faith to believe in the first place? Was the one, do you know this whole thing of, I found God? You know he wasn't lost. You know he came looking for you, he tapped you on the shoulder, he touches your spirit, your spirit was made alive, you saw Jesus Christ, you accepted him as your own personal saviour. All of that was done on God's credit account. It was nothing down to us. But for the rest of our lives, we are called to be laborers in the field. I said we're called to be laborers in the field. Pastor Tony a few weeks ago preached on faith without works is... Faith without works is dead, but work without faith is also dead. The two need to come together. We need to find the place of being rewarded for what we do. You know, when you came to salvation, it was free. But you know, salvation is not a free ride. Salvation is not a free ticket. I got sold this a long, long time ago. It costs you nothing to accept him as Jesus Christ, as your own personal saviour. But when it costs you nothing, it costs you everything. What am I willing to lay down so that we can lift him up? There is a labour, there is a work to be done. Amen? We said last week we were going to touch on understanding the bigger picture. I'm not going to go too much into this, or else otherwise I'll get lost in translation somewhere. But in Genesis 1, 26 and 28, I just want to pick something up for you. It says, then God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In his image, God created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, in the birds of the, air, of the sky, and over the living creatures that move on the ground. God went to work. We've already saw in that first verse that we read, you're God's field. You know that thing about God going to work? You know he's still at work? You know the work of God doesn't finish. You know the entire Trinity, the Godhead, is still at work today. You know Jesus Christ intercedes for you. The Holy Ghost is interceding for you. The Father is moving on your behalf. You know, it turns around and says, the scripture tells us that he's the gardener and he prunes back every bush or tree that bears no fruit. So he's not sat there with his box set of Coronation Street. He's concerned about your field. And he's concerned about your field. He looks to put you in the field. There's two aspects. You know, I'm just reminded, is it the Song of Solomon says, that I have been concerned with your field my own vineyard, I have neglected. I can be so busy looking to make sure that everything's all right. Even in church, I can be so busy making sure, is Pastor Carol all right this week? How's Dave doing? What's Pat? Let's phone up. Dorothy's been poorly. Let's make sure we do this, that, and the other. And my own spiritual walk actually starts to fall over. Have you been there where you've been really busy in church, but your spiritual walk ain't the best? Can I be honest? I've stood here when it's not been the best. I've stood here when it's not been the best, and it's been the grace of God that's pulled you through. But you can't stay there. And that's not as a stick to beat us with by going, oh, aren't you a bunch of scuffers this morning? No, we understand that at moments in time, we haven't always got that tap on full flow. Yes? But we reach out and touch him. Let us make man in our image. Success is not a solo project. Let us make man. The Godhead came together and said, let's make this divine piece of creation like us for our purpose that we can partner with. <laughs> How nuts is that? The God of all creation turns around and says, I need you. I want you. And God now works through a man. You know, if it, it's so easy for God to say, right, tomorrow the sky is going to be sky blue pink with a yellow border. Just pull the heavens back, reveal himself and go, all of mankind will respond to say that there is a God. And he turns around and says, no, do you know what? I've decided in my ultimate wisdom, I'm going to let Shirley go to Asda. <laughs> and in Shirley going to Asda, Christ will be revealed. It might take a bit longer than just ripping heaven open, but do you know what? He trusts you and me to reflect him. How crazy is that? Do you know what? That is one of those things that gets your brain and sticks the big spoon in, mixes it around for a little bit because it's just nuts. How crazy can it be that God will work this way? But God is a relational God and relationships are the currency of the kingdom. Relationships are the currency of the kingdom. 
But relationships are one of the biggest flaws of the modern day church. We don't have friends, we have associates. They're our fellow members. They're our brother and sister. You know why we call everybody brother and sister in church? You know why? Because I can't remember your name. We go, hello, brother. How are you doing? Now, I came, I came, and Pastor Carol, Pastor Tony, David, we came from an old brethren church where everything was brother and sister, and you had to approach with, good morning, brother David, and how are you? Well, I'm fine, brother Phil. How are you? And how's uh, Sister Mary? Oh, Sister Mary's fine. And how's brother Michael? Oh, I tell you, it was crazy. But yet, you get involved in this crazy language. But lots of times, we're not a huge church. Are we not a big church? But I bet it'd be hard-pressed, and I'm not going to test you. I am not going to test you to have two individuals stand up and say, right, Mel, what's their name? I'll be sorry, it's easy for the other person, because they said I said Mel, <laughs> unless you went deaf. But it's amazing, even at a small church, how lives don't interact. Yeah? But if we can learn to harness and partner the skills that we have in-house, what a difference this will be. Now, again, we touched on when we talked about originally probably three weeks ago, four weeks ago, about is there a plan? We said how many skills are involved in this house? We turned around and said there are early yearning. Early yearning. <laughs> There's early yearning and learning skills. We've got child development skills. We've got... Um, mental skills that we can deal with, people who deal with people with mental difficulties. We've got elderly concerns. We had everything in between. We had marriage guidance. We had counselling. We had building towards marriage. We had finance. We had planning. We have drug-proof your kids. You think of all of those skills that if they were released en masse and we work together in partnership, how much of an impact we have. But we go, but there's Dave. Dave is our brother Dave, is our resident expert at Skittles. <laughs> so we've got that. And Dave just does all that he does on his own in isolation. But when I join my skill to Dave's skill, see, because I might be, I'm not, but I might be a great administrator. So in that ability to be able to plan and see things, Dave goes like this, I've got Skittles, you know, I love doing Skittles. Skittles, I wake every morning, the first thing I think of, Skittles. I am brilliant, I can go left-handed, I can go right-handed, I can get a smash, I can do whatever. Skittles, born bread, Skittles. There is nobody in Drollsden with a heart for Skittles the way that I've got. He goes, that's brilliant, that. Where's your mate? Ain't got one, but I'd like to find somebody else I could do Skittle with. Now, can you imagine if Dave partners with somebody else who can actually find somebody who's got the same heart and passion and put the two together. And the two of them find three. And the three find four. And the four find five. And now we've got the Tameside Drollsden District of the all-comers Skittle Championships all going on. But mostly what happens is with any of the skills that we have, we always see them in isolation instead of going... I could help or use this to influence, to help, to develop somebody else's life. I just don't know how to do it. And you know these people who know how to do it, but actually have no skill. 
shall be nasty. I'll be nasty just for a minute, but I'm not being nasty. I'm being nasty. I'll use, it's not my phrase, but you know what I'm saying. Those who can't, teach. That's what they're saying. Is Those who can't, teach. So I might turn around and say, I can't do Skittles, but I know anything about Skittles, but David's actually got the skill to do it. When two people will work together, you will get a result. God turns around and says, all I'm looking for is an element of partnership that if we can pull our resources together, I'm telling you. I am telling you. There are so many invisible people sat in church that if they actually applied some things differently, they wouldn't be invisible any longer. Do you know, I was watching a program the other night. I can't remember what it was because it's just brain-dead telly. But I was looking at something. That was it. I was watching it with Ange. That's the one. I know I'd seen a face somewhere before. I was watching the telly with Ange, and it was Call the Council. Call the Council. Ange is looking at me going, what did we watch? Call the Council. And they had in the library, they had this meeting for people with dementia. And it was like, right. And this person had organized it, and he sent some stuff out in the district. And all these people, when they remembered, turned up. (laughs) All these people turned up on the dementia. And what they did was they came with their carers, and they gave them some lunch, and they did things like a quiz the quiz of the old days, and they did parts of a song, the things that they would remember to cause them to come back. And, you know, there was this whole thing of not only were the carers going, I've seen somebody apart from somebody who doesn't even know I am most of the time, but they was able to share and do life and have a fellowship meal together. The people had the light bulb turned on for a moment, and Ange went, I could do that. I could do that. And it's like, yeah. Don't say it, go and do it. Now, that was Ange and her passion, because we all know Ange has a passion for the elderly. Yeah, and the way that her heart moves, that's why she loves Pastor Tony. It's, she's got that heart for the infirm. Sorry, let's not mock the afflicted. It was, you write it down, it's all right. Well, burn the tape, Ralph. But Ange looked at something there and literally looked up. It sparked something in her that says, I didn't need to come up with the idea, but my passion, that's where that passion could work. Right. So what are you thinking about, even now in your chair, where you think, I could do that? But do you know what it means? It has to be bigger than you. Take our wonderful sister here. Sister, um, what's your name again? Uh, (laughs) Sister Pat. We have Pat here. Pat has this passion and desire to, do they not give you half of the derelict kids in your school? Kids that seem to people write off. They say they haven't got a chance, haven't got hope. She loves sharing language, words, all that stuff. One day the day will come where she can no longer do it in school because she moves on. Does that mean she can no longer have the skill? Or does that mean that she can find other people in the community where she says, right, you've never knew how to read. You walked away with a bad education, but I can help you. I can mentor you. Why can we not get you through 50, 60 years of age? Let's get you a GCSE. Let's get you so you can actually read your own letter when it comes through and you don't have to knock on the door of a neighbor. All of these things. You know one of the biggest problems that happened? Just on on a side note here for a second. One of the biggest issues that happened last year, one of the biggest issues is, you know like 
Manchester City Council is devolving, yeah? So it's learning to have its own stuff. Last year, they turned around and said this. Right, what we're going to do now is there's Dave. Sorry, I'm looking straight past you. There's Dave. Dave's on housing benefit. Dave's on housing benefit, and his housing benefit came to me, his landlord, straight off the bat. Now they said, what we're going to do, we're going to treat Dave like a grown-up now. So Dave, like a grown-up, has to go and pay his own bills and go and find the landlord himself. But the sky teller you need first, and my phone bill, and then I'm at the bookies, and then we've got Friday night bingo night, and guess who's not getting paid? Landlord. Guess who's getting ready to get turfed out on his ear? Because people have no skills, basically, on how to budget. Don't tell me all of you mums and dads in here who run a family can't teach somebody else how to do basic budgeting. Column A, column B. If I have five pounds, I can't spend six pounds. Never mind ten. <laughs> Kathy's the first on our list that we're dealing with moving forward. Budgeting for dummies, we're starting off. But you see, these are things are that lots of us in this room, if you're semi-sane, and I say that in a nice way, if you're semi-sane, you've had an element of a normal upbringing, many of these skills are already in place. Because you didn't have parents who, dad on his way home, spent everything in the bookies and in the pub on the way home before they got through to you. Do you know what's even more dangerous now? I don't even need to go to the bookies. I can get it all on my phone. I can get it on my laptop. I can get it anywhere. I can have all of this stuff. And, but do you know the disclaimer now? Gamble responsibly. And when, what's the other one it says? When it's no longer fun, stop. Do you know, I've worked with people in the past. It's not Kev. I've worked with people in the past that have literally taken their wages and put it on a guaranteed winner. And they've lost almost every penny they had for that week for their family. So then you know what they do? They're borrowing money from everybody else for the next guaranteed winner just to get them back out of the hole they've just dug themselves in. We're not talking about... So can somebody tell me about the uh, seals from Revelation, please? Can somebody tell me about the four horses of the apocalypse and what happens to the statue from Nebuchadnezzar and the clay and we've got the iron and we've got the gold and silver and what about the prophetic mantle and what about... Why don't we just do life with people? And if we do life with people in the right way, maybe we might see a bigger result than what we had when we tried to be spiritual. If you can carry the life of Jesus Christ with you and actually... Pardon the pun here that I'll say this, not a pun, the statement. And we could give a damn about somebody else. Things will change. It's amazing how quick this gets full when people think you actually care about them. Do you know that? It's amazing. But we picked up on those things. We said the bigger picture. Fruitful, multiply, replenish, and subdue. To be fruitful is the ability to bring seeds to maturity. Anybody eat apples? How many seeds in an apple? On average? Not that many, is there? Not that many. Four, six, eight seeds? 
How many apples in a seed? The power to be fruitful is the ability to be able to take a seed to maturity and then continue that cycle all over again. See, the difference in the ability to be able to make money and spend money is this. If you can make money and you know the principles of making money, I'm not fearful of losing money. Do you know why? Because I'll go and make some more. I scared, I'm being honest with you, I scared the life out of my good lady around Christmas when she said, so what's in the Christmas budget? There isn't one. So what have we got to spend? We're not. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you said we're not spending anything. And we said, look, Ange, we're doing this, this, and this. It's A, B, and C. And that look, that look that's on many of your faces is the same one that was on hers when she says, but what if we lose it? So then we'll make some more. It's only money. We'll put ourselves back a bit, but we'll make some more. Can you be free from something? If you've got the skills. So I come along now, and um, Brother Dave's here, and he's skittle competition. He's won. And do you know what? Somebody comes along and says, David, I wanna, I'm going to bless you. And I give him 200,000 pounds. Say, go on, Dave. Spend that in the best. Have the best skittle club there can ever be. And he spends the money and it's all gone because he bought the Adidas Skittles and he got all branded and he wanted a website and he's done everything. He spent the money, but when the money's gone, the money's... Has he got skills to make more? Well, Dave says, yeah, but it's, oh, I'll be checking. The issue is for most of us, something comes, we use it and we don't know how to replenish it. We've used it, it's gone. That's why many of us, when we've ever had an inheritance, not that I've ever had an inheritance, if you want to write me into your will, yourwillbedone.co.uk, if you want to write me into your will and leave me an inheritance, I'll show you what I can do with it. But what happens is that people get a, a sum of money, often they've never been used to before, and it's gone straight away. There was the holiday I wanted, there was that new car I wanted, there was that new, and you look and your bank balance went down and you can't get it back. But if we're called to be fruitful, it's having the ability to start a cycle that will continue to go and go and go. These will remain seed, time, and harvest. Yes? It's never a one-off. The ability to multiply. The ability to multiply is bigger than two times two. Now, I'm glad when I went to school, I learned that one, two is two. Two, two is a four. So you wagged it most of the time. That's all I'm seeing here. They don't do that anymore in school, do they? But you learn by repetition. But God's multiplication that he speaks about in Genesis is bigger than this. It's about quantity. It's about quality. It's about intensity. And it's the ability to breed rapidly. Mm -hmm. We don't like that bit, do we? The ability to breed rapidly. You know what happened? Read the story, 75 people went to Egypt, 600,000 men left. Wow, that's some going, that, isn't it? That is some going. That is before the days of telly, two for one, deals, eating out, or a meerkat Wednesday. All of that is going through. But yet, God gives us that ability to increase and multiply what you are. 
It's to increase or multiply to duplication. So let me ask you a question. Are you worth replicating? It's all right. This is not a two-way answer. I'm not going to turn around and say yes or no from this point of view. Ask yourself, does this world or is this world big enough for two of you? Is Drollsden big enough for two of you? See, there's an awful lot. I just, I'm, I'm not telling any secrets here, but this comment of uh, Catherine's this morning, she was talking to her son in America, and she said about one of the situations that had happened in her family. And the son turned around and said, Dad, get your tin helmet on. Get your tin hat on. If there's two of you, are you two lots of blessing or are you two lots of trouble? Or is it, which way is the wind blowing this morning? Because we can all be like that, can't we? We can all be like that. But that whole thing is we're called to be multiplied. The ability to replenish is to supply constant refills to what has become depleted. And I thought to myself, what is the easiest way to say to bring constant refills to what's been depleted? And then I believed it was a Holy Ghost moment, but I don't think it was. I think it was also a bit of me. Past history. Who's had a teenager? Anybody had a teenager? Check your fridge. You know what that means. Needs constant replenishing. Because it was full when I went out, and then I came home, and it seems to be empty. And now I'm back off to Asda to see about it being replenished again. The ability to subdue is to conquer and to bring into subjection according to purpose. It's not a case of I'm the boss and I've got a big stick, I can keep everybody else in order. It's that we subdue over his creation as he told us to. In Genesis 2, 4 and 5, it declares this. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. God cannot cause some things to come into operation until he has somebody who can and will do the work. Shall I tell you again? There are some things that God cannot release or bring online until there is a man who we can meet on the ground who will actually do the work. In the same way, God's heart towards us is that when you read the story of the Israelites going into the promised land, God says, I don't give it you all in one day. Why? Because it's too big for you. And until you expand in skills, until you know how to govern, until you know how to plan, put everything in place, we will take this little by little. God says, I'll give you grace to grow. Is that good? I'll give you the opportunity to grow. I'll give you the opportunity to develop. I'll just allow you to take one step at a time. But it's no place to sit on your hands and say, I'm doing nothing. Because we are God's co-laborers, we are his field, and he puts us in our field. So there's a question. Question is this. Phil's question to self this morning when he woke up. Question was this. Am I the bottleneck to stop God encounters in Drollsden?
Then I heard, no, it's Sister Pat, who's being up. If God is looking for a man to outwork his life and reflection of what he is on the ground, he's looking for you and me. So I have to ask myself that honest question, am I the bottleneck? If I can look at myself in the mirror and say, I'm not the bottleneck. God, I'm walking, I'm growing, I'm fellowshipping, I'm believing, I'm looking to take my faith to work. Then we're working together. Do you know what I'll do? I'll find the power of partnership. Because God didn't turn around and say, it's Chrissy's job to save the world. I'll let you into another secret as well. This might kick a couple of sacred cows. It's not my job to love the world. It is not my job to love the world. It is not your job to love the world. The scripture said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I can't be concerned about everything, but I have to be concerned about the places where he connects me. So where there is connection, I am responsible for the light and the life that I bring. But I can't look and say, I wonder what's happening in Guatemala. I might have a prayer concern, I might be moved in my heart, but the whole process is, will you be light and life to wherever he puts you? So we need to look at some fields this morning. Is that okay? So let's look at some fields that are underworked and undervalued. Number one, the marketplace. The marketplace. I'll be very quick on this, but it's amazing that in my experiences over the last 10 years and before that, there was a general ethos that flew around in the invisible, unspoken realm of church was saying that Christians shouldn't be involved in business. And if you're involved in business, it's always better to be in a failing business where you don't make any profit. But you know if you're in a business that doesn't make any profit, I'll just tell you from this side, you're not in business. You're in a liability, and you're in a boat with a hole in it. There is nothing wrong with us making profit. Now, I do that with integrity. We do that with honesty. We do that with transparency. But how do we affect people in the marketplace if we're never in it? If I always think, oh, that's the, that's the realm of the enemy. It's not the realm of the enemy. I'm taking it back. In fact, I'm not taking it back. I'm going to be the best at what I can do in that thing. You know, we're just going to break some stuff open. The amount of doors that have opened for us, for Kevin and I, in this last year, the people that we've met and the places that we get, I just go, my God, I haven't a clue what we've done to deserve this. And most of it is you haven't. But there's certain days where I go, I must have done something right. <laughs> you know, when you do something, maybe you preach, maybe you pray for somebody, they get well or whatever, you kind of have a bit of one of them moments when you're walking out. <laughs> you, it might not be you, but I'm telling you, on the honesty facts, it's amazing how you beat yourself up. If something doesn't go right, you just go, what a scuffer I am. How did I drop, let the ball go there? How did I miss that one? And it works the other way. When it's working, it's amazing how quickly I give this credit before I give it that way. All right, we don't want to be honest. I'll be honest with you. But when we're looking, especially where the area of business is, you're finding how you have 
the ear of people at different levels. Do you know, I was telling Andy and a couple of the guys a few weeks ago that what really helped me, because probably, I'll look at Ange for a nod or a shake of the head, probably about seven, eight years ago, when we were first in Malay, was one of the things God had started to speak to us. Uh, it spoke to Ange separately, um, apart from myself, in relation to how life was going to work for us. And we started to see the story of a Joseph and how things were working out. I wrote some things down. Ange wrote some things down. But it's amazing how that when you're giddy and a word comes, you just grab one bit. Now, this is what I'm telling you. You can save some years. I was running around with this whole thing of Joseph going, I'm going to be like a Joseph. And here's the thing. Wealth comes one way. You'd be a distributor here. And you know what my prayer was? My prayer was all this. God, give me the dreams of Pharaoh. What a, what a prayer. And tumbleweed falls right across the congregation. I said, Lord God, I want to understand pharaohs. I want to understand the court of Pharaoh. I want to understand, Lord God, their language. When I go in there, I, want, I don't want to be the one who looks like a dipstick from the council estate. I want to be able to, I've not been in their world. I've not been to university, but I don't want to look like a dipstick. Would you join me in that prayer? I said, God, this is it. I read the story of Joseph. Here's all the bits of Joseph. Joseph came. Pharaoh had a dream. They turn around and go, there's a man in prison called Joseph. He helps us out with the dreams. And he comes and he tells Pharaoh the dream. So that went on. Year one, year two, year three. Lord, the dream of Pharaoh. Understanding Pharaoh. And then not long ago, the Holy Spirit goes, now you sat down, you dipstick. Because the strength in Joseph was never that he understood Pharaoh. Julie's just said no. So, of course, she's bound to tell me the answer in a second. The difference with Joseph, he knew what to do. What was the solution to create, create or correct a failing system? So my prayer starts to change. Lord... Give us the solution. Pastor Peter comes along in SOP and says, Phil, I'll just get this picture. You're going to start working with failing businesses. Do you know any failing businesses? Sorry, Pete, I don't know any failing businesses, but I've been praying for six months. Help us with the solutions. Two days later, we're sat in a room with a very successful business, and they turned around and said, guys, don't know why we're saying this. You're smart guys, not talking to me. It's me and Kev. The term that I made this statement, can you help us save our business? Whoa. Completely different world. And in that moment, do you know those bits where you go, SOS prayer, instant shut up. I'm not on the loo or lying in bed, but you've had that SOS prayer. That shoots up and say, God, you know what my heart has been in this. And it starts to just get downloaded and you go, you can do this, we can do that option, you got this, you got that. And from that time, all we've done is built relationship on relationship on relationship. They want to do anything, they call us first to find out what our heart is there. But now she'll let you into another secret. Now this is where you're going to go, <gasps> we've not told them we're Christians yet. We didn't run around and pull our I love Jesus banner out. I didn't give him a Gideon's Bible or anything else. They just make statements like, 
there's something different about you guys. Yeah, there is. There is a time to go public and there is a time to wait. It's not the time to jump on the desk and go, let me tell you about the Holy Ghost now. And this is what they call laying on our hands. We're in stealth. And it's not because we are ashamed of the gospel. It's knowing times and seasons. There is a person that will go unnamed to protect the innocent, even though they were guilty. And they came to us one day and they said, do you know what? I am being persecuted at work. Are you? Yeah, will you pray with me? Will you stand with us as a leadership? I'm being persecuted. Why are you being persecuted? I'm being persecuted because I am a Christian. And there's a witch in our office and she's doing everything and it's all, oh, all hell's breaking loose because there's a witch in the office and because I said I'm a Christian. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what's been going on? Well, most mornings I get in, and when I get in, I'll have a brew, and I'll read my Bible for half an hour. And then when I've read my Bible, what I'll do is I'll, I like to go and witness for maybe another half an hour in the morning, and I'll make sure I get some people in the afternoon. You're a dipstick, and if I was your boss, I'm throwing you out of the door. Because I am paying you for a day's work not to be a witness. Be a witness in your own time. Be a witness in your own time. It is not spiritual warfare. The devil did not jump on your back. This is an opportunity. Let your life reflect the Christ. You don't have to run around sticking a sticker on everybody and putting a bookmark in on everybody that goes through. Or shall I just change your screen grab that's on there at the minute of I love Jesus. Let life be life. But the marketplace is so undervalued and underworked. What about your workplace? Just touched on it there. How many of us? Pastor Tony's been talking for a while, hasn't he? Take your faith to work. And we all said... <laughs> some of us said... <laughs> I asked myself again this question. I thought, here's a question for Pastor Tony when he gets off the plane. I'll wait till he's woke up a bit first, but we'll have the conversation. Works like this. You know when they say what came first, the chicken or the egg? My prayer, as I was praying and building for this week, was, Lord God, you have to mobilize and change the heart of your people to see life being bigger than them and that they've got something to say and something to do. Yeah? Is that fair? So then the question came this. What comes first, the work or the culture? Do I need to build a culture in me that says life is bigger than me and that when I look around, the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few, and that me just being me on my best day, I don't need airs and graces. I just need Christ, a Christ to be seen in me, carry that life, and if there's an opportunity, meet it. Yeah? Or do I need a work that says, right, we'll just make something up. Dave's Christian Skittle Outreach. We need workers for the Skittle Outreach, apart from Dave. Who's got a, who's got a passion to meet with the uh, other Skittle addicts of Drollsden? Is there somebody who wants to go and work with them? And somebody, well, I'll work in the coffee shop. I'll make a brew for you. Uh, I'll do your letterhead. We do something. We join in. We give a partner for a little bit. 
What comes first? The work or the culture to say, I'm ready. Here I am, Lord, send me. Which one? Should we, should we, what we'll do now, we'll do a deal or deal. We'll do a deal or deal. This is our authentic group. Put your hand up if you believe it's culture first. Put your hand up if you believe if there's a work, then you can add to that. Do you know when only four of you put your hand up first? There can't only be three. Or there's those who said there is no work at all. If I can get into the culture of saying, I've got some value, and I've got something to bring, and I can be special, and that means not special needs, I can be special where I am, just being the life, things will change. Do you know what? You can surprise yourself just by opening your mouth. Do you know you can surprise yourself by learning to shut your mouth? Depending who you are. Some people can't speak because they've got both feet in the mouth at the same time. I love the Bible verse that says, even a fool looks smart when he says nothing. And do you know how many times I've sat in meetings and just nodded, oh, yes, oh, yeah, thinking, I haven't a clue what they're talking about. And I'm glad that we've got Kevin and Gull sat in this corner here nodding, oh, yes, 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 the the foo-foo valve connected to uh, the left dongle. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the one, yeah, yeah. Can we do that by Wednesday? Well, then you look across the room and Gull goes, yeah, there's no, there's no reason why we can't. We can all look smart, can't we? Yeah, there's knowing when to speak and when not to speak. What about that underwork field of where you live? Do you know the hardest people that we're ever to witness to? My own family. My own family. Whether it was your mum was going, oh, go away, I don't want to hear about any of that stuff. Get away, get away, I don't want to hear that stuff. You know when you, you think... I'll be really passionate about this. And I've kind of learned a little bit now, so I have a slightly different tack. But mum, one day you will die. Not necessarily the conversation she wants after her tea. I've kind of learned that you can have conversations in different ways. But it's amazing how many people, when you try and bring your light and life, it's the resistance of their darkness and where they have no life. So they'll kick and fight back. And it's not a time just to keep on hitting it. Learning now, stealth mode, go in, pull out. Do you know a term I used the other week? I thought it was brilliant. I love this term. I've painted this term. Balloon technology. Expand and contract. Andy wrote that one down. Expand and contract. Knowing at times when to press and when to pull back. The balloon is still the balloon. It didn't change its nature. But it knows when to go in and when to pull back out again. I like that one. I was smart with that one. What about the field of where you spend your time? So there is Dave running his Skittle Center in Drawlsden. Is he light and life in his Skittle Center? So I'm light and life in Asda. I'm light and life in the Skittle Center. I'm life and life with my family. I'm life and life in the workplace. I'm life and life wherever I am because I am light and life. If I understand any of those basic principles of subduing, multiplication, the ability to replenish, do you know what? You are the one who can bring life into that vacuum of somebody else. 
You don't need to know everything. You just need to know somebody else who does. Do you know one of the scary statistics is this? Do you realize an average in church, we spend two to three hours in church a week and 30 to 40 hours outside in the workplace? But we kind of, again, taking myself into consideration here, try and think I'd rather be a shining light in the two to three hours than the 30 to 40 hours I've got somewhere else. Well, maybe it should be the other way around. Maybe life would be different. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, it says this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. No amens on that one. Mind your own business and work with your hands, just as you were told, so that your daily life will, will win the respect of outsiders and so that you are not dependent on anybody. When my life reflects him, when I'm not in every gossip shop, when I'm not the most negative person you will meet this week, it has an ability to be seen by others. Because do you know what? Just you keeping your counsel, just you not being negative in work, when the boss turns around and says, we're all working extra two hours this week, and you're not getting paid, so you're not the shop steward who just dragged everybody out. Right? It's amazing how people will look with an element of respect. Do you know what is also scary? People couldn't give a monkey's how much of the Bible you know. It might as well be the Beano. I am not being disrespectful. Please. You can sit and quote the Bible all day long. And somebody goes, yes, well, I am now going to quote Sagittarius, page 12, from the sun, says today I will meet a tall, dark, handsome Stranger, male, female, stroke, Aphrodites, who will be found to have job, no job, on a sunny, stroke, rainy day with a wind behind your back. They will use their Bible like yours. And what makes yours different? The thing that will always be different is the life you carry, not just the words that you say. I used it partly this morning. I've written myself a note since then, thinking. In Acts 8, there's the story of Philip when he goes to Samaria, and it says this. It said, when they saw him, they paid close attention to what he said and what he did. So who is they? The people paid close attention to Philip for what he said and what he did. Now, at the time, the story was, and he was working some pretty good miracles, so he might have got his attention. But there was another guy, Simon, Simon the sorcerer, who was so powerful in the black arts that they called him the great power of God. So they call him the great power of God. He gets saved, allegedly, turns around and says, and he believed in Jesus Christ and was baptized, but then he tries to buy the gift of the Holy Ghost from the apostles when they came along. They call him out, and this is what it says. It says that he was baptized, but yet he was still full of bitterness and captive to sin. Just because you say you're a Christian didn't mean your life was any different than anybody else's around you. If you do not work in and work out your salvation, do you know what happened when you got baptized? Shall I tell you what happened? You got in a, wet, a dry sinner and you got out a wet sinner. If there is no fruit in your life, you were once dry, then you were wet. 
and we go out and we stick the name of God on everything, but nothing changed. What makes you different from the people around you? Question to you. Um, answer that one yourself. What makes you different? If you're still the same, then maybe something is out of kilter. You know, we look originally and say, well, part of that should be a value-centered life. I take responsible for who I am, where I am, and what I do. My attitudes, my behaviors. I'm stop blaming my circumstances for everything. Do you know what? Some of us, and we've used this term before, have come with a history. Things happen. Do you know what? Bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. But somewhere down the line, I've got to be willing to take the skeleton out. Remember what you said about skeletons? You know, a skeleton in a cupboard, what did we say it was? An upright coffin. A skeleton in your cupboard is an upright coffin. Take it and bury it once and for all. Because if we keep declaring and making statements that I am born again, that I am a man in the light, that I am walking with the Christ, get rid of your luggage. Once and for all, you can't keep blaming, I was like this, and I was done hard by, and they put me down, and I was in this, and I was that. Yes, it's all true. You were used and abused. We understand that. But if you said, I've come into the light, stop using the darkness as your reference point continually and start to see how things can change. Is that all right? In Matthew eleven sixteen, it says this, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to others. We played the pipe and, and they did not dance. We sang a dirge and they did not mourn. Do we even understand the times and circumstances that we find ourselves? About nine in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. We've got to stop doing nothing and then sticking a title on it. Say, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for another word. What, would you, what do you need another word for? Shall I give you the word? Go. I don't think it's that plain, so I'll make it. I think it's, um, let me give you the Greek for it. Go. And the uh, Hebrew, being a Hebrew scholar as I am. Go. If we're called to go and be and allow the life to flow, I don't need, well, maybe if Pastor Peter comes back in next time he's in here and he's passing through or Philip DuPont or somebody else, somebody will give me a prophetic word that says, Chris, it's time to get off your backside. I will give you a prophetic word from heaven this morning. Thus saith the Lord, get off your backside, off your backside. Those in aisle three, four, and five, get off your backside. Be the life, be a carrier of life, even if you're starting, and I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way, even if you're starting with your non-spiritual skittle club, start somewhere. Just go and be. Do you know what value means? It means I won't steal. I won't slack off. I'll pull me weight. I won't be the gossip. I won't keep taking advantage of the system. It was 1984, not 1984, but Orwell's 1984. Big Brother is watching. Apart from Big Brother watching, you know Big Brother's watching. People watch how you will treat your wife, how you treat your relationships, how you treat your friends, how you give your word or not, how you have your attitudes, the way you deal with money, how you deal with the issue of sex and the filthy jokes that you will tell, listen to, or laugh at at the right times. People will 
watch. We have a godsend, and I tell you this, we have a godsend in our business. He's called Gull. Gull is a Muslim, but Gull is a godsend. He is a godsend to us. He's integrous. He's honest. He'll do what he says. He pulls his weight. He's fine. He's a Muslim. Oh, Phil, but he's a Muslim. He's even. Look, I've worked with Christians who are evens. He is there. We said to him the other week, we talked about some stuff, planning, moving forward. And I just made this statement. I said, Gull, he's been with us now since September. Gull, are you glad? Or what's your feelings about coming to join us? And he said, it's the best thing I have ever done. I have spoken to my family. He carries so much responsibility and honor in his family. He says, it's the best thing I ever did. And I turned around and said, Gull, we will always do our best to do right by you. And he stood back and he looked and he said, I thought you was a Christian. Well, I am. Well, shouldn't you be doing that anyway? We're going, I'll give my word to you, Gull. Hang on. You said you were a Christian. When you said a Christian, you know what that meant? I believed you were going to be what you said you was. And there's another one of our untapped fields. Every week we've got conversations out. Christ see things and you'll, you can look at it and just shape. It's amazing how you can preach the gospel without preaching the gospel. He'll bring things in. He'll talk about different elements, but that's for another day. But it's amazing that one factor. When he was stood back by saying, you told me you were a Christian, I thought this was, that should have been nailed on. shouldn't have to tell me. If you say to me and I think you're a Christian you're going to do this. Then you'll keep your word, won't you? In Genesis 47, it says this, verses 3 to 6. Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here for a while because of famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to, to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come, uh, have come to you in the land of Egypt. Is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. If you know of anybody of special ability, put them in charge of my livestock. For number one, there is dignity in labor. But do you know what? Pharaoh couldn't stand shepherds. Pharaoh had no time for shepherds. Whatever you do, don't tell him I'm a shepherd. Do you know what? I'm a shepherd. And I'm very good at it. And you know the thing? He turns around and says, if there's any more like you, put him in charge of my other stuff. So there's a question. Pharaoh is still looking for people who have some skill, have some talent, and also have solutions to what they don't know. Do you smell like a field that the Lord has blessed? But here's my big question. I've been waiting on this question. Are you ready for this one? Here's a pokey stick question. Are you ready? Would you, would you recommend somebody else from church to come and work with you in your company? Thank you for laughing, Veronica. You're not supposed to laugh at that part. (laughs) 
When somebody turns around, well, sorry, Dave, you're in my airline again. You shouldn't be the tallest on the row. When Dave goes, Phil, I'm looking for a job. Do you know anybody's got anything? There might be a role in my place. And I think, you think I'm letting you lose? You think I'm letting anybody know that I know you? <laughs> See, it was easy when we just turned around and said, could you recommend anybody? Because anybody's not very specific, is it? But when we turn around and say, right, there's Brother Nutcase or Sister Sandpaper. Would you let them go in your environment where I'm doing all right in my environment, thank you very much, without letting Chris into it? <laughs> Pharaoh says, is there any more like you of your character, of your nature? And we look to say, who can I partner with? Can we draw it so that there are two working together, two working the same plow in the same place? The invisible people that change the world. I heard something a while ago, and it made my clock start to go in a different way. Jonathan David, who many of us know, made this statement about when he was a young boy, Hindu, his grandfather was the priest of the Hindu temple, his father was Hindu, he's been trained that way, and a young, fresh-faced schoolteacher lady, preached the gospel to him. Shares the gospel, shares the love of Jesus Christ. He accepts Jesus Christ as his own personal savior. All hell breaks loose. I'm the one who's meant to be taken on the Hindu temple. Now I've even turned my back on it. It's not that he's having a moment. Beaten, Bibles torn up, everything that had gone. Life made hell, literally. And the statement that goes like this. That little invisible lady who once shared her heart with me, who was she ever to know that I've preached and ministered in almost every nation around the world? I have 400 churches linking in. Thousands of people. How you transform the lives through the school. SOP, what it has done to the nations. How that people call me into open parliament. That when... I go into certain nations, they send the presidential limousine because they said the hope of our nation has arisen, all because an invisible lady somewhere down the line says, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. It isn't about you and the glory that you get. You don't know the lives that you touch. Here's a question for you. Nice question. Who would you say was the first dynamic preacher who's the first dynamic gospel preacher Paul come on Pat throw it out blank thinking Shh. well we're stuck with Paul then are we Jesus oh, right, we're, going, <laughs> we're going somewhere now Paul Jesus anybody else Peter anybody else what about God? God, before time, preached the gospel to Abraham so that he would be our hope. Galatians 3.8. God preached the gospel. Look at Pat. She's writing that one down. Note to self. Stick that on the fridge. God preached the gospel to Abraham. When we say God is working his field and you are his field, 
He even comes out and says, where it needs be, I'll lead by example. And I'll show you. All you need to do is share that life, share that hope. Don't keep saying four more months than the harvest. Start to be a life, an apostle for a God encounter. We'll keep working on this one. Start to be a life and a portal for a God encounter. Now, I've not got all the story. I've got two minutes. Give me two minutes and I'm done. I've I've not got all of the details yet, but this is good. It's bubbling, so this should help. Angie's sister, you know, it's one of those sister's brother removed twice on your second side, but her brother-in-law's her brother-in-law's wife goes to St. Clement's Church down the road here. In the last three years, they've been struck down really badly with cancer, three times. She's had bowel cancer, big parts of it removed, then she was in remission, then she was out of remission, then it came back again, and then just at Christmas time, it returned. Got it really bad, Michelle, Michelle Taylor. Came really bad, they turned around and go, we don't give the girl 12 months. It's really bad. Young family, all that stuff. She's fought it. She's done her best. They got to the stage where they said, this is so bad, everything is being removed and everything will be on bags. You know, so this, the intestines are not going to be joined up. Everything is going to be in these bags. Just go in a state of badness, yeah? And that was things that was coming through. Angie's talking to a lady the other day. Have you heard about Michelle? No. She's gone to the hospital. Everything's all right. They cannot find one percentage of the cancer in her body, and everything that has to be removed is all right. Now, before we just stick that in the advertiser, we need to make sure that we do our homework and we check that things are out there. But you know what? God is on the move. I said to you before, why don't you just spend some time and tell somebody what God's done for you this week, or better still, what you've done for God. Take two minutes, just chatting. Why don't you just chat? But you have a chat with somebody this week. Somebody you wouldn't only have a chat, and why don't you see if you can bring God into that equation? You know, we talked about the invisible people, didn't we? If you're willing to allow the Holy Ghost to breathe on what you have, who knows what it will do or where it will go. Stephen, when he finished waiting on tables, when he fixed the problem of what do we do with the widows, he went, you know what? It, church life has to be bigger than saying, I'm in charge of catering. I'm head of catering. He goes out. He almost starts a riot, doesn't he? He's the first martyr. They end up stoning him in the street. I am not, please, condoning that you get stoned in the middle of Drollsden this week. But yet... Philip is in the same position. He starts to go out. The persecution comes after Stephen's deliberations. A man goes out. He is a deacon. What is he? Is he running the church? No, he's not running the church. The apostles run the church. They do the teaching. They do the preaching. They run the care group. They've got the early morning prayer meeting nailed. They're doing everything. He's the one that says, if there's a table needs cleaning or there's an issue with the ladies, sort it out. Philip goes to Samaria, starts to minister, and brings revival. He brings revival to Samaria. 
he starts to move in the supernatural, people are getting healed. And we go, what an invisible guy Philip is. Oh, but it's more to Philip. Any of these guys called Phil, they're not bad. He then goes out, led by the Holy Ghost, led by the Holy Ghost, he's on the road, and he meets who? The Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah. As he's reading from Isaiah, he's running at the side of the chariot, because we're all fit, us Phil's. We're running at the side of the chariot. He hears and says, do you know what you're reading? I don't. He explains to him about Jesus Christ. He accepts Christ as his saviour. He baptises him in the water. Ethiopia was transformed because of Philip. One conversation. He goes to Samaria. He touches it. You imagine it. We've got the best revival that's going on anywhere in Tameside. It's all kicking off. Chris turned up and he's there. He's got his sequin jacket on. He's hailing the sick. It's all going. It's all coming down. And we're going, come on, let's keep it going. We've got 24-hour church going. It's all moving. And the Holy Ghost says, Chris, I want you in Ordenshaw. Excuse me, Holy Ghost. You don't know what you're doing because I'm busy here in Samaria. Go and meet the Ethiopian eunuch. A nation was changed rather than a city because a man responded. And you know what was even better than that? Philip the time traveller. Two to beam up. And the Holy Ghost moved him from one place to another. Oh my God. I tell you, I want to be an invisible person. I want to be invisible so that he can be seen. Amen. Come on, let's just stand to our feet. Me two minutes became three. But listen, you know, last week we looked at and we enjoyed and we were moved by our story of, of Ellie and Carl and we watched up and we saw their life passing them by. Don't let life pass you by. We turned around and said about life is an adventure. Every one of us is a place. Every one of us is found in a field. You are God's field. God works on you. He works with you. And he expects the same back. We are made in his likeness. We are those who can replenish. We are those who can be multipliers. We are those who can be touched by his hand. Amen. So that as we sow a seed, it will keep going round and round and round. We give you permission this morning. Go and scare yourself this week. Scare yourself just as you share him, as you lead your life. You never know. Who knows what will happen? Maybe you have that one conversation where you don't see fruit, but that person got changed, got transformed, went somewhere else. And as they grow and expand, they go, do you know what? I once met this woman in Asda, and all she did was say this, and that was their testimony. You were invisible. They didn't even know your name. But how the heavens are transformed and changed and rejoiced at the very fact that you or I were willing to be his field this morning. So come on, church, let's just raise our hands for a moment. Oh, my God, Father, we just pray. Lord God, Father, we pray for that, that compassion, Lord God. We pray for that heart-stirring, Lord God. Father, we pray for that culture being established in our own hearts. That, Lord God, Father, we see a value in what we say. We see a value in what we do. Lord God, as we reach out. Lord God, Father, we pray this morning that, Lord, even in the worship, that the thought came, Lord God, that prophetic utterance that say, what does my heart say? Lord God, that's what we were worshipping this morning. What does my heart say? But, Father, your word says this in Psalm. My heart says, seek his face. 
Your face, Lord, I will seek. Lord God, I pray that as we seek your heart this week, we seek your face, that, Lord God, you will move us. Move us, Lord God, that, Father, we have to make room, more and more room, just for the testimonies, Lord God, that's got to come back. Lord, of a life that was touched, of a life that was changed, of, Lord God, of vacuums and holes that were filled, just as we brought life, just as we brought life. Oh, my God, Father, we pray this morning that you will be glorified, that, Lord God, we're not looking for a big church. We're looking for transformed people. Oh, God, we're looking for transformed lives who will transform lives. Oh, Lord God, Father, as we leave this place today, Father, we pray for opportunities and divine encounters that, Lord, as they come on the way, that, Lord, we'll have the words to say. We'll know how to meet our moment. We'll know how to meet our environment. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 Amen.